Welcome to National Defense Industrial Association's Emerging Technology Horizons podcast. Um, on this episode, we have an Air Force legend, uh, General Arnold Bunch, known to all of us as Arnie. Um, uh, General Bunch is, is uh, the commander of Air Force Material Command, uh, which is headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Uh, in, in that role, he's responsible for installation and mission support, uh, discovery, development, test and evaluation, life cycle management services, uh, sustainment of virtually every major Air Force weapon system. And of course, he also oversees the vast enterprise of the Air Force Research Laboratory. Um, command employs a total of almost 90,000 people, manages about a $60 billion budget of uh, budget authority. Um, a little bit about General Bunch. Uh, commissioned in 1984 is a proud graduate of the US Air Force Academy, completed undergraduate pilot training in 1985, completed operational assignments, including uh, as an instructor, evaluator, aircraft commander for the magnificent B-52 Stratofortress, which a mutual friend of ours insists is the finest airplane ever built. Following graduation from Air Force Test Pilot School, uh, General Bunch conducted developmental testing on the B-2 Spirit and, and continued working the B-52, served as an instructor in each of those magnificent aircraft. Uh, he's commanded the squadron, group, wing, center level. And actually prior to the current assignment, um, he was a military deputy to the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition Technology and Logistics uh, in, in the Pentagon. So, Arnie, first of all, thank you so much for being on this broadcast. Um, as, as you know, we, we love to talk about uh, emerging technology trends. Um, no better person to address that for the United States Air Force. So I, I, I really, I really am grateful for your uh, being with us today. So, Dr. Lewis, Mark, I really appreciate the opportunity. We've uh, plowed a little bit of ground before. I think the first time we met, you and I and uh, a mutual friend were shaking a van to try to get a fuse out of the engine case so we could get the lights to work so that we could drive on the highway and get back on base. Oh, all I, I could think of all I could think of was <laughs> I'm here with two of the smartest people in the United States Air Force because at that time you were the chief scientist. And we are no kidding, shaking a van to try to get something to come out because we didn't have any light. So it is an honor to be with you. Okay. Thanks for uh, thank you for your service. Oh, uh, it, I'm I'm honored to be here on behalf of the 89,000 plus airmen of Af Air Force Material Command. It's a privilege to get to work for each and every one of them every day because I really believe I work for them. You kind of hit the vast majority of what we do. Uh, the message along the lines of all those things that you said we do that I tell all the airmen here. I tell them that we're the most important major command in the Air Force. Uh, I don't say that out of arrogance for anything that we do. I say that because everything that we do, we do for everybody else. And uh, if there's no one thing we do within this command that we just do for AFMC. We do all these things so we can get capability out to the field and make our Air Force and the Department of Defense stronger than it has been before. And the other one that I tell all the airmen in AFMC is we do our wartime mission every day. So whether that's you're doing tests, you're doing research, you're rewarding contracts, you're working on the depot line, all those, whether you're on the installation and you're working in a child development center, a lot of people can't make that linkage. I easily can because if the parents have, are not worried about their kids, then they're free to think about what they need to do in the program offices or the test arena. And uh, that everybody makes a difference. So that, those are the two big things that we push here. And I'm just really, really proud 
of all the great airmen that we have and everything they do to contribute to the Air Force successfully executing its mission around the world. So I, I have to agree, you run a magnificent organization. And you know the, the scientist in me loves the fact that you, you are the future of the Air Force, not, not just material today, but material into the future. So, so I, I, I wonder if I, could, if I could ask you to talk about your, your top priorities as, as commander. What, what's been at the top of your list? So my, my number one priority is uh, one that I've gotten a lot of questions on, so I'm happy to talk about that. That's diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Um, I, I recently went to Air Command and Staff College and I got asked by a, a young major, how can you have DEI and A as your number one priority when what the Secretary of the Air Force has said is China, China, China? And my response is one that uh, was really easy. For this command with what we do, our most valuable resource is our airmen. And if our airmen don't have an environment where they can have the opportunity to form their full potential, all those other things we're doing to support the development of uh, new technologies or buy or test or sustain, or yeah, they just don't happen. So our airmen are our most important priority and that's clearly why DEINA is my number one priority. Uh, my number two is our digital campaign, our digital transformation that we're doing in coordination with uh, Mike, uh, Lieutenant General Mike Dutline out at SSC and synced with, uh, with AQ. Um, haven't had a chance to brief the Honorable Hunter yet, uh, but have worked hand in hand with uh, Ms. Costello and Lieutenant General Richardson on how we implement that within the program offices and those things. Uh, couple of other ones we're pushing really hard on. We're working on a software framework. Uh, we got a lot of software factories that seem to be popping up all over the place and trying to put a little bit of a, keep them innovative, but allow them to have share best lessons learned so that we can move out in a, in a unified manner on how we do those things. Another one is innovation. We got a lot of innovation happening at the wing level where I get a little worried, I don't see many things going to scale. And I'm trying to drive some of that so that we can take these good things that maybe happen at a base or commercial and put them out across the Air Force and try to drive them so we can be more successful. And the, the last one I'll touch on, and there are many of them is, uh, and I'm really proud of what uh, Major General Pringle has done, is executing our S&T 2030 strategy. That strategy came out right before I came here as the commander and I, we started, I started getting monthly updates on how we were doing. And I'm just really proud of how uh, AFRL has embraced it. And they've really moved out to implement a lot of those uh, focal points that were laid out in that S&T strategy. I'm, I'm a little bit biased, but I actually had a hand in helping to write that strategy. So, so I, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. I, it's a great strategy. Yeah. And, I, and what, I, what I am very proud of is that some could have, entrenched themselves and not wanted to make the changes, but that is not what the leadership of the lab did. They really went in and focused on prioritizing what's gonna support the warfighter, doing more rigorous reviews of programs so that if things weren't progressing, they would off-ramp those so the money could be focused in areas to increase capability. Uh, uh, General Pringle has implemented a war tech process, so we got the MAGCOMs more involved now. 
We've increased our academic and industry and foreign partnerships in the earlier stages and, and re-looked at how we do our workforce, stood up a transformational capabilities office so that we can do more demos and, and experiments at the operational kind of a level. So I'm just really proud of the way they've embraced it and, uh, and run with it. Hey, just, um, just yesterday, I was talking to the vice president of research at Purdue, and she was telling me about the innovation hub that AFRL has stood up with Purdue, reaching out to other universities. Um, it's great to hear. I, it's, it's biased opinion. It's exactly, exactly the right thing to be doing. I, I completely agree. And, uh, and, and I'm really, as again, a lot of people could have said, no, we're not going to change. Uh, they are. And yeah, they've we, made a we, lot of different changes. And I think we're going to bear the fruit of that for many years to come. We've, we've seen that movie before where the, 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 folks, the folks decide to wake you out. But in this case, they, they really, really not. <laughs> I, I find if I get monthly updates on things, people tend to move a little bit more. And sometimes that's a forcing function. Yeah. Hey, so that leads to that. Certainly when I was in the Pentagon, we, we had this, this, this sense that there's a sense of urgency. Um, you've got peer competitors who are moving out quickly. Um, you know, my, my beloved area of hypersonics, it's, it's not a good story in terms of, you know, what Russia has done. They've, they've already used weapons in Ukraine, the Chinese story, but across the board in technology areas, we see competitors who are moving out quickly. And, and I know it, it's been a theme of yours as well, instilling a sense of urgency. Could, could you talk a little bit about that and, and how yeah. we're progressing? Yeah, so a lot of the conversation that I had when I say we do our wartime mission every day, in a lot of ways, it's aimed at that mark. I want people to understand that we've got to change because as we make this pivot, we've got to really make a difference. And part of that is, and uh, Depsec Def Hicks even brought it up in some of the of her dialogue lately, we got to make sure that we're willing to accept risk in some areas and we've got to weigh those things out and determine, is it actual risk? Is it cultural risk? Where's the right place to take that risk and drive our teams to be willing to move out on things. Right. And so I, I think, uh, I think the areas propulsion is an area that I'm very interested in what we're trying to do. You've seen us push a lot with AETP trying to keep that propulsion industry, modernizing and moving forward. Uh, we continue to make the push in hypersonics. I think you and I would both agree we probably hit the pause button a little bit longer there than we needed to. And now I think we are back in that and we're working really diligently and we've got a lot of different efforts. So I think that sense of urgency is there and we're moving out. Uh, I think you, I, I, my sense with the AI accelerator that we've stood up at MIT and with the work we're doing with artificial intelligence and machine learning in a lot of areas, I think we're moving out really well in that area. Uh, I just visited Rome this week and they went and looked at what they're doing in their quantum lab and they're making great progress. So I think now there is more of an awareness of we really need to move out on these things. And I think we've always had that in some areas. I think it's much more focused now across the board that everyone understands we're in a competition here and we got to keep up with a pacing challenge and we've got to pivot and move out. I, I especially say I, I'm, I'm delighted by your, your emphasis on the propulsion activity because you know, people would often ask me, so we had emerging technology, we had a list of emerging technologies 
and propulsion wasn't on the list. But of course it was. It was underlying for so, so many of the other things that we do. Yeah, I, I think one of the things there, and I think this was brilliant by Secretary Kendall when he was in uh, ATNL. Uh, he started working with DARPA. He basically started what would eventually become what we're doing with NGAD. And he started focusing dollars and making sure we had dollars going into the propulsion industry. Uh, and, and one of his key drivers there, and I could, and I think it was brilliant in the way that we implemented it was, if you don't have those advanced thinkers and those designers doing that kind of work and keeping that fresh, then they may not be there when we turn around and we ask them for something. You know, and, and, and I personally believe there is a proficiency in engineering. There's a proficiency in design and all of those things, just like there's a proficiency when I, when I was flying. You know, if, I, if, if I'd flown three times in a week, probably a good idea that it would be safe to go fly in the backseat of the T-38 or the F-16 or fly alongside in the B-52. If I've not flown in two months, probably not sort of you want to go do the ride with me on. And so for me, as we do these engineering tasks and we do these things to advance technology manufacturing, we need to keep working our way through some of those because we need those folks proficient so that if we turn around, there's somebody there that we can tap into from an industrial based perspective to help us move out and address the challenges of tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you mentioned Frank Kendall, Secretary of the Air Force, Frank Kendall now, and, and that's that's a, a, a great segue. I, I know uh, uh, Secretary Kendall has uh, described operational imperatives um, uh, across the Air Force. I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about how AFMC plugs into the Secretary's operational imperatives? So we are actively involved on every one of the seven operational imperatives. It kind of goes back to why I said, I believe we're the most important MAGCOM, not because, out of arrogance, but because everything we do, we do for everyone else. So if you're gonna look for technology, you're gonna need AFRL. If you're gonna go procure the technology and put it out in the field, you're gonna need the life cycle management center. Mm -hmm. You're gonna test it. So you know what you're gonna get, you're gonna need the test center. And so, uh, and eventually you're gonna need to sustain it or you're gonna need the logistics if you're looking at defending a base or going to ACE or any of those other uh, concepts we're looking at. We basically play a role in every bit of that. So we are actively engaged. The research lab is actively engaged. The program executive officers who report to Ms. Costello, but not just them, but their teams, which all those folks are Air Force Material Command individuals, all those airmen, they're all in on this. And we know how important it is. And it's gonna shape a lot of what we do for quite a while, Mark. There's some that believe we're gonna do this for a few months and it's gonna stop. That's not how Secretary Kendall views that, nor is it how any of us as MAGCOM commanders see this. We see this initial sprint of how are we gonna shape what we're gonna do in FY24 Palm, and then we will morph off that based on how the technology evolves, but it's gonna shape how we do some of our S&T. It should shape how we build our test infrastructure to make sure we can test what's coming up. It's gonna shape what we're trying to get our uh, intellectual capital to be able to do within the life cycle management center or the nuke weapons center as we try to hire people because there's a workforce issue that comes with some of these advanced technologies so that we can ensure that we're ready to go buy and we're smart buyers 
and we're able to manage it and implement it and not just sit on the sideline and depend on the contractor to tell us what they were doing. Absolutely. That, that, that makes a lot, obviously makes a lot of sense. Um, so along those lines, let me ask you the good, the bad, and the ugly question, uh -huh. which is, tell us about some of the, the, the tell, first tell us about the good, some of the notable technical successes at AFMC, and then some of the opportunities and maybe challenges that, that you think we still face. Yeah, so uh, successes, I, I could go on and on and on and on on successes. Uh, that We got plenty of those. Uh, I'll give you just a couple that I'm really proud of where we're at. Uh, I think I'm really proud of where the team is going with our digital campaign. Um, I think if you go look at what we've done under uh, Lieutenant, or uh, Colonel Jason Bartolome uh, running the GBSD program and uh, General Jenna Tempo and Mr. Oder working with them. We have made so many strides in the digital enterprise there that I think it's been tremendous. Uh, we have utilized a common model-based systems engineering approach with the contracting team now. Initially it was teams so that we could go through and run multiple iterations of alternatives for what we wanted to go do so that we could find the right requirement and the right knee in the curve for the price point we were looking at. We've implemented an open mission system architecture there. So we've got that system set up so that if it's in the field for more for multiple years, we can replace technology. Uh, to me, that's an example of how you can use digital to really help you out when you couple it with the other tenants that Dr. Roper talked about before he left and Ms. Costello and I have continued to emphasize, which is open systems architecture, secure DevOps environments, and doing these things in the digital environment and making sure we get the right data rights. I, all working very, very well. I will tell you that General White in the advanced aircraft area has taken that to a whole nother level. Uh, they're, they're up beyond even what ground-based strategic deterrent has been able to do. And what I'm proud of is more of our program offices and acquirers are starting to take that on and move out. So SAOC is an upcoming program. They're starting with a digital foundation. They're going there. The B-52 uh, commercial engine replacement program, you would think B-52, as old as it is, why would you do that? But they did a lot of the fit, a lot of those other activities in their source selection. They did that in a digital environment and made the contracts provide that. So I think we're really off and running on the digital. I'm very, very proud. Uh, what we've done in the uh, area of S&T with the Vanguard programs, I think we're doing really well there. Some look at me and say, well, Golden Horde. That really didn't develop into a program of record. It didn't, but what it transitioned into was a digital environment that the PEO for weapons and the research lab for the, mun for the munitions directorate uh, and some others can bring in ideas and they can put them in that digital environment and we can try them out to see if there's merit there before you wanna go to do a whole lot of other things. So th those are just two that I would say real quickly. I, and again, there are multiple that I could stand up and talk about. One more, I think the team is adapting. Uh, the test community has now got orange flag and emerald flag that are going. Those are 
orange flag is at Edwards, emerald flag is at Eglin, and it is a like a large force exercise that people that have technologies can bring in and we can see them in action to figure out where we need, what we think the viability of those technologies are at an early stage. Um, challenges, you know, and every challenge is an opportunity. Uh, we, we have to continue to push these new advances and a new way of thinking and change the culture to where that risk is acceptable. You need to move into this digital environment. We've got to collaborate and work together. And, and, and I think we are making great strides in those areas, but that's one we just have to continue to push. Um, you know, it's interesting. I often get asked, uh, how can you go fast, Arnie, in acquisition? You know, what do you, what do you got to do? And my line back on that is, Go look at what we did when we got into COVID and we needed the negative pressure connex. I mean, I got an email on a Friday night, no official, you know, go do or anything, an email from at the time Vice Chief Wilson. Three weeks later, we had done the analysis and we cleared a system to be able to carry COVID patients. Within probably two months after that, we had built, tested, redesigned, Another system that we could trans, you know, we could trans transfer or move around the world, COVID positive service members, and everybody goes, well, why can't you do it all the time? Well, I got clear direction, I got clear funding priorities. It was definitely a priority for everybody, and everybody worked together to get out in the field. So we can move at the speed that we need to to address the challenge of tomorrow. We just got to get everybody aligned and going in the same direction and make that happen more. Yeah. So that may not be exactly what you're asking for, but I think that's an example of how we can do these things if we get everybody aligned around the right priorities. Yeah. And you know, I remember, I guess, it's, it's from, from a few years ago when, when the lab delivered the, the massive ordinance uh, 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 capability, it was, I think it was a handful of weeks to create this very, very impressive weapons capability. Uh, of course, I always argue it depended on having really smart people who've worked in this area. And, and as you said, being able to turn to them and say, we, we need this capability and they're on, they're available and bring, bring their experience and can complete the mission. Yeah, it goes back to what I talked about earlier. You gotta have the right intellectual capital and you gotta keep them fishing in the area. And then what, what we are going to have to do, and one of the things I've challenged the team with when you have an individual leave, don't hit the easy button and just go, well, that was a mechanical engineer. I need another mechanical engineer. Assess at the strategic level, what expertise do I need? Do I now need an autonomy expert? Do I need someone that can do, that's got some background in artificial intelligence? Do I need a data analytics? And so we've got to do that. And, and this is an area that AFRL I think is doing remarkably well. They came in, uh, they've reassessed all of their SLs and they've got some positions that are transitioning. Mm -hmm. They came back in and said, that's what we had. This is what I now need. So they're looking at it at the strategic level to go, we're now moving out in this other area. I need expertise in that area. How do I bring that in so that we can go the direction that we see the technology moving and the way we need to go to address the challenge, the pacing challenge that's out there. Yeah. So, so as 
as we wrap up, I, I did want to ask you, so uh, we, we just celebrated the anniversary of the Space Force. So now you've, you're serving not just one service, but, but now two services. How, how has that impacted AFMC? Well, it, it's interesting, Mark. I, I've challenged anyone to find what the definition of a servicing MAGCOM is in doctrine. Uh, and the reality is, it's not there. We've never done this before. So we're, we're working with them on a couple of different ways. One of them is I am really, really proud of the effort that General Pringle and the research lab, Mr. Sekulich, Dr. Bunning, that they have put into ensuring that we truly do the one lab supporting two services. They have done that impeccably well, clearly communicating with Space Force leadership what they're doing and making sure that we create an environment, uh, and you may not like this phraseology, but it's the phraseology that I use. Technology does not know its application until you tell it. So what I wanna make sure is that we do not create an environment where there are barriers to something, that anything that is being done within the research lab can flow to the air or the space force. You know, so as you look at space being a, a contested environment, you may need JMIMS data like we've always done at uh, Eglin for the munitions director. Or you may need materials out of the materials director here at Wright-Patterson. So the team has done just a really great job of morphing that together, so I'm really proud. On the other hand, uh, we have, we have, we're making sure that we have in place the right measures to take care of the airmen and Space Force is doing a great job reaching out, loving on those airmen. But we have to make sure we're looking at their career development. We're getting them the right schools. We're not hindering their uh, their development anyway, so that as they've served at Peterson or Buckley or any of those locations, that when they transition back over to the Air Force, seamless, they're doing the same thing, they're viewed the same way. And that's one we've had to learn because, as I said, uh, no one's ever done that before. There's no doctrine on that. That this is a whole new deal. Making up as, as we I go told, along. Yeah. <laughs> as I told yeah. the Space Force folks when I went out and briefed, I went to every one of the of the Space Force installations, and I said, "There is zero percent chance we've got this 100 percent right. Zero. But we're going to do it. We're going to love you. We're going to take care of you, and we'll morph it as we need to." Very good. General Ernie Bunch, thank, thank you so much for being with us for this episode. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for everything you've done for the nation, for the Air Force. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, and I wish you well in, in what comes next after AFMC. Well, thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Thanks for your friendship and your mentorship along the way. And uh, thanks for what you're doing with uh, ETI and getting people to understand what's going on out there. And uh, I really appreciate it. You have a great day. Same to you. Thank you.